Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 376th show is author John Prezard, will be talking to us about the economic history of Bettendorf. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Ed, uh, because you have your farming experience, you get to start this time off. Okay. John, uh, you told us earlier in the show about what generous employers the Bettendorfs were, and that, to say the least, they were uncommon for their generosity and concern for their workers. Do you have any idea where that comes from? That's a really not. It's oh, not typical ahead. I'm of the time period. So no, it's, it's just really not typical not. for that time period. So not at all. Not at all. Um, I'm sorry. I feel bad. I keep, I feel like I keep interrupting you. I, no, that's go ahead. Oh, uh, so you're absolutely right. It was very uncommon. Where it came from, so my guess is, and I have to theorize because nothing is written down, and this is all conjecture on my part, um, they were both, their father was a school teacher, uh, Michael Bettendorf, and they moved throughout the Midwest when they were younger. Uh, this is William and Joseph both. Uh, they saw they were born, William was born in Leavenworth, Kansas, and he left home at the age of 13, and he worked within uh, agricultural industry in various capacities. Uh, when he made his first invention, the salty plow, uh, his first major invention at any rate, uh, he was working in a factory himself. Uh, he was a plant manager at the Peru Plow Company. Uh, later becomes Peru Plow and Wheel Company. But uh, he had been there. He was one of the workers. He had been on the floor. He had been in management. He had done all these things. So my guess is he knew what it was like to be them, and he he had seen these different things. Uh, he had seen accidents. He had seen uh, people lose their jobs and have to go home to their families and, you know, whatever else. And I'm sure Joseph did, too. And him and William were very close. And sometimes it's hard to tell whose idea was whose exactly. I mean, William was obviously the major inventor, but uh, Joseph was an inventor himself. He had a few patents to his name as well, nowhere near as many, but still quite a few. So some of the policies and things that you see implemented under William, and when he was president of the company, when he was alive, you see carried on with Joseph. So, I mean, who had the idea? Who came up with it? Honestly, it doesn't really matter. And in some ways, they both go hand in hand. And where they came up with those ideas, that's a very good question. Uh, it could have just been just good morality. It could have just been, my guess is they saw what it was like, and they wanted to give back. And they, I think they also knew that if you take care of the workers, they'll take care of you. Some of the best industrial minds out there will tell you the same thing. If you take care of those workers, if you treat them poorly, then they're not going to care. If you treat them like interchangeable parts, they're not going to care about you as much because that was the standard of the day. Uh, the Pullman cars, you know, in the railroad industry, there was the Pullman 
uh, car company up in Chicago, and there that was kind of a that was kind of a mixed bag of how they treated their workers. But uh, Bettendorf definitely stood out in that way, and especially in how much he gave to the town and really cared about the town instead of well, I do it for tax write off. I do it because well, it's the done thing. No, he really did. He threw parties for his workers up at this big, fabulous house. So on one weekend, he's entertaining railroad magnets. The next week, he's entertaining his workers, these grubby guys coming up, washing up for the first time in a couple of days from the railroad floor to come up to his house and have a big soiree. All right. Rick, do you have a question? Yeah, we've been uh, talking about the, uh, the benevolence of the founding family of Bettendorf, um, there, uh, as I understand it, Alcoa came in after Bettendorf um, uh, would bank uh, at least the manufacturing side. Is uh, what what prompted uh, Alcoa, the Aluminum Company of America, to to pick uh, the Bettendorf area? Um, they were looking for a place to expand. Uh, it was a good place to expand on the waterfront. Uh, they had plenty of room to grow. They had plenty of things to do. There were plenty of opportunities. Bettendorf had grown. Uh, they came in about the late 40s. About 1948 is when Alcoa showed up. And what brought them in, though? What brought them in? What, why would they? I mean, this is a major aluminum uh, conglomerate. What, what did they see in the Bettendorf area that would cause them to move what I believe was, at the time, probably the largest uh, Lumen Mill, at least in the U.S., if not the world. Oh, yeah. I really think what it was, it was the opportunity for growth. I mean, it was a good place. They had an established industrial place. They had a good place of experienced workers. The Bendorf Company was kind of on its way out by that time. Uh, it was still around. It's going to end in 1953, but there were a lot of skilled workers in the area. There was plenty of room on that waterfront to not only build, but to expand their operation. They had access to water travel, water transportation, rail transportation, road transportation, all major ways to ship their product. Uh, they had room to expand their workers. Uh, the big expansion along 18th Street around, around uh, Mark Twain, the Alcoa edition, uh, my mom always used to call them Alcoa row houses up there uh, that were built partially with aluminum. Uh, I think it was a big draw to the area. They were attracted to that, and they wanted to come in. It was a, it was a good, and it was a stable place too. It wasn't a boom town. It wasn't anything. It had that established industrial industrialized core that they could build on. I mean, there was a lot to attract them to the area in that regard. Why they ultimately picked that over other places. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of voted on it with the board. We like this, but uh, I think that all of that was definitely the draw to Bettendorf. Okay, John. All right, the, co- the question I got is: um, I had no idea that onions were such a staple for Bettendorf, and especially in towns like the mid in the Midwest, when you've got that that fruit, that vegetable, that crop that is such a, a key to the area's existence, that they'll have um, memorabilia to, you know, to like Strawberry Point, other places like that, that, you know, they very, very much make that a part of their their historical themes. Um, Oh, yeah. Is there any history at the local level that really focuses on how vital the onion was to their beginning, not just agriculturally, but as a community? 
That's that's also a very good question. Uh, the answer is yes and no. Um, local historians like myself, I mean, it was such a big thing. We know about it. So that important, and Quad Cities in general, it's kind of a weird area like this. And I'm sure other places are too. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of history there. And it's not always fully explored. So there's a lot of surprising local history that people find. And the onion industry around Bedworth Pleasant Valley, I think, is one of those things. Uh, as far as memorabilia and stuff goes, there was no major companies around it. It was like a consolidation, but it was amongst local farmers. Uh, so you don't always see the kind of level like uh, like with the International Harvester or with big seed companies or anything like that. You don't necessarily see that. And so it exists. I mean, we were there, and then it was a big thing, and there's a lot of local memories of people going out and working in the onion industry. When Oh, that was the point I was going to make earlier. When things slowed down at the Bendel's company, as far as railroad orders and things, people could rely on the onion industry to go, hey, I need to work. Well, we'll go out there, especially during the Depression. Your whole family could go out there, and it's not making a fortune because nobody was making a fortune during the Depression virtually. Uh, you could still keep everybody's hands busy. Um, so the onion industry, it's a big thing. It's a lot of stuff there, but as far as, you know, like things like deer, nothing runs like a deer. You know, you had all the, the old plaques, you had the Buddy L company, which is another subsidiary of Bettendorf, even the Bettendorf company itself had a bunch of logos and plates or, uh, another unknown factor of the, uh, the beer manufacturing culture and companies that were so prevalent in Davenport. Uh, there's a bunch of memorabilia with that, a bunch of signs, and really cool stuff. You don't see that over there. It was more like, well, we grow onions, and yeah. <laughs> and that was about it. So unfortunately, there's not a lot of collectibles and things with that. They didn't even mechanize fully, so you can't even get the guys that like collect an old farm equipment and restoring it. You don't even get that so much. So it's, it's kind of a kind of regulated the memory. John, I also wonder, I, I started teaching in Bettendorf um, in the early 80s, and there was definitely a stigma attached to the onion fields at that point. Um, you definitely had two divisions of, of kids. You had the kids whose, whose parents um, either had worked in the onion fields or who lived below the hill in, in what was quote-unquote called the onion fields, um, and then you had the folks that were on top. So I also wonder just if if the over time it, it became less seen less as a positive industry and more almost as a negative industry. Well, yeah, those guys are down there, but that's not really what we do anymore. Um, what do you think of that? I think you're spot on. I think that over time, uh, it's kind of like. When you're wealthier, you don't have to work with your hands. You're not one of those grubby people. And especially during that time, there started to be more of a stigma with certain hands-on industry. Uh, especially, I mean, in Bettendorf, as much as they tried and they eventually did, especially now, got away from that stigma of being a suburb of Davenport. They were referred to even when, Bet when William Bettendorf was alive, Joseph was alive, and they kept expanding the town out, and they doubled their size in the 50s and 60s. Uh, even then, they were still being looked at by everybody. Oh, yeah, that's a suburb of Davenport. Yeah, it's cool, but it's, it's not really where it's happening at. 
so if you get there and you have people like that, you know, more wealthy people, more well-to-do people moving in, and they're looking at it, and they look at it, well, yeah, you know, they have to work in the fields. You know, they don't have a real job. You know, they're not making real money. They just kind of squeak it by working in the fields. You know, I could definitely see that stigma come up. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest for this 376 show, author John Brassard, who's been talking to us about the economic history of Bettendorf. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweeten and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM, and in the Quad Cities region in the Quad Cities region at 9:30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search. Click on the icon, the first icon, and then scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station KALA St. Ambrose University.